Amen. We serve a, a big God who loves us. That's a wonderful, wonderful thought that he is almighty, unchangeable God. Um, yet he loves us and he takes care of us and he is concerned with what happens in our day-to-day -day lives. That is an awesome, awesome truth. Um, the book I, am, I want you to turn to is very much that way. Um, have you guys ever seen like a Hallmark movie? Do you guys know what that means, a Hallmark movie? You guys know what I'm talking about? If there's one book in the Bible that you could submit to Hallmark and say, you know what, you should turn this into a movie, what book would that be? Is there thoughts? You wouldn't send them like anything out of David's life, right? That'd be too gruesome and too crazy. You wouldn't send them anything out of like the book of Judges or is there a book that you can think that you would send them a narrative and say like, you know what, this would make a good Hallmark movie. Esther, you know, maybe that's kind of like beauty contest and the king just picks the prettiest one. You know, it's, hey, they, hey, I heard it. Ruth, Ruth. Let's turn to the book of Ruth. This is, it's, when I think about it, it's a little bit humorous that this is in the Bible. Guy meets girl. They get married. I mean, it's your typical love story, right? I mean, sure, there's conflict. Every good love story has to have this. There's a twist in there. Somebody's got to take off a shoe and throw it at somebody. Like, there's the twists that are involved in the book of Ruth. Um, but then, you know, happily ever after types up. Hopefully you are at least somewhat familiar with the story of Ruth and Naomi and, and Boaz and then eventually Obed. Hopefully that those ring a bell. I do want to go through this whole story. So, hopefully you don't have reservations in a restaurant for 12.15. No. Uh, I'm not going to go through every single verse and all the detail, but just how the scenes unfold. I want to kind of work through it like you would see it done as a play or something. I'm not going to, please don't think that I'm going to pretend to be Ruth much. Only a little bit. Um, but definitely we see this interesting story unfold in the book of Ruth. And it's really not that long. Four chapters in my Bible, it's like front and back of two pages. Um, so I would encourage you to read this in its entirety um, sometime in the, in the near future while the sermon is fresh on your mind. Uh, but we see, and we always hear that phrase, God works in mysterious ways. You know, have you ever said that phrase? Like, boy, God, God just works in mysterious ways. How often do we recognize it, though? If, if you were a part of this story, there's not one point in here that you would say that until you see it all unfolding. You wouldn't say, boy, God works in mysterious ways. Everything is horrible. That's not typically when we use that phrase, right? It's when all the puzzle pieces get put together and we go, ah, oh, God, God works in mysterious ways. And then we have a smile on our, our face. Um, Definitely, through the book of Ruth, God works in many lives in inconspicuous type of ways and ultimately to achieve this final purpose of the conclusion of the book. And the genealogy really is the only reason that it's included. Uh, so scene one, chapter one, we see depression in Moab. And then depression moves to Israel. That is the scene. 
the background story to this, uh, it's basically during the, it's during the time of the judges when you know, God's people are doing basically what they want to over and over in the book of Judges. And the, and the people did what was right in their own eyes. And they just rebelled against God. And so God, through the judges, judged them through those things. Um, he, he would send a famine to try to get them to understand what they are doing and to turn back to him as their only hope. And during this time, uh, there's a lady named Naomi and her husband Elimelech who moved to Moab where they know that there's food. Interesting, they moved from Bethlehem, house of bread, to uh, Moab to find food. Moab, uh, they have an on and off enemy relationship with Moab. And so they moved there. But here in verse 1 we see, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And they had two sons, Malone and Chilion, or Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left, and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malone and Chilion died also both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons, of her two sons and her husband. This is super depressing right up front. First five verses. It doesn't take long to get in. Once again, I know that I, I feel like I say this all the time, but try to put yourself in this position. So often we look to like the end of chapter one and we go, Naomi, Naomi, come on. Come on, Naomi. How could you, how could you be this way? I mean, well, I don't want to cry, but man, thinking about losing my kids and my wife would be absolutely devastating. I don't think there's anybody sitting in here that if they were in Naomi's spot and met somebody like Naomi who was also going through something like this, would go, oh, come on, Naomi. I think you understand. I think we would understand and we would get that picture of like, wow, this is not a good place. And this is, she's, she's in a foreign land and lost her family. There's, this is a really bad place. Um, it seems unbearable. It seems unbearable. I think I said this the last time I preached, but God is always there even when we feel like he is not. God is always there even when we feel like he is not. And maybe you have the rest of the story already playing in your mind. Maybe you know Ruth really well because it's one of those books that we kind of enjoy to read. We like to read it and we like to get to the end and see how all the puzzle pieces all come together. But she doesn't know that. She probably doesn't really feel like God is on her side at this point. She probably feels like everything's up against her. But God is always there. Like I preached last time, the disciples in the boat probably felt that way. Like, what do we do now? What do we do now? We don't want to die. Um, Joseph, Job, the three Hebrew boys. Uh, many times in Scripture we find, is it not interesting that so many of the great stories would be horrible to go through. We talk about wanting to be a, a real hero of the faith and like really live for God. But the, the biblical examples that we have of people who did that, you wouldn't have wanted to do that. 
you wouldn't have wanted to live that life. This may sound crazy, but I like to hide and watch my kids do really, to do things that they don't want to do. (laughs) There have been many times when I have been looking out a window or peeking through a bush at one of my kids yelling for me. Don't call anybody on this. I mean, like, they're not in true danger. I'm just... I want to see how they'll respond in a situation when they feel like they can't get through it themselves. But I really am there. They just don't know that I am. I'm not talking about like 10 or 15 minutes of me standing there watching them struggle in this particular position. But there have been many times when maybe somebody is trying to climb out of a a swing that it's too high for them and they don't know how to get out on their own or they're in a kind of a weird predicament. But I want them, even though that I'm there, I want them to feel as though I'm not and see if they can work through it themselves. And then if I need to, I'll run over and I'll help them. I think both result in a positive thing. On one hand, they make it on their own and they see what they can accomplish. Or they they see what they can overcome even though dad didn't show up. They might have a bad view of dad at that point, but even though dad didn't show up, they see that they can get through this difficult time and they have more strength than what they thought they had. But then on the other hand, if I see that they aren't going to make it or something is going to, you know, it's maybe too dangerous and I show up, then they see my love and my concern and how dad has the strength to help them through these situations. So I think both are positive. And at times I feel like, not that God's hiding in the bushes, but God is always there. And when we're going through difficult times, even though he may not just make it disappear, it doesn't mean that he is not actively involved in whatever situation that we're in. God is actively involved in Naomi's situation, whether she realizes it or not. The thing is, she does realize it. Look, look later in chapter 1, in verse 19. I know that I've skipped some important parts, but I'll go back. Um, and it came to pass in verse 19, when they were come to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? It's been ten years. And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. Call me not Naomi. Call me Mara, what does that mean? Bitter. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. Why? For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. It wasn't that she was like, God, where are you? You're not nowhere to be found. It's, God, why did you do this to me? I feel like we, we find ourselves in, in both of those camps sometimes. We say, God, you have to know that I'm here. Like, well, are you there, God? And then sometimes we're like, God, why did, you, why, why did you do this? Or I'm in this position because God is almighty. He's unchangeable. And I, I lost my husband and my two sons. That, that is a, a tough place to be. But her response from everything that she had lost is bitterness. Bitterness is her response. Call me not Naomi, 
because the Lord has dealt with me bitterly. Verse 21, I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call, ye Naomi, call me Naomi? Seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. This is a very difficult. I think we can respond a, a recognizing of that God is in complete control can cause us to respond, I think, the two different ways. One, the way that we say, see Naomi respond, bitterness, saying, God, I, th- I thought you were good. No good can come of this, God. Why would you bring this into my life? And then on the other hand, I think we can respond like Paul. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Or Horatio Spafford, which wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, who lost his daughters and wife. No, he lost his daughters. His wife survived and wrote back the telegram, saved alone. And he gets over that spot, and then he pens those words. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well It is well with my soul. I think that's the way that we ought to respond in those times when we know that God is almighty, when we know that God is in control and that he does love us. When we don't understand, we can just trust that he has a bigger plan than what we ever could imagine. And we don't know why. He is doing what he is doing. Trust without understanding is never easy. So we see what Naomi's position. But let's go back and pick up what's going on with another character in this story, Ruth. In verse 4, uh, we saw that the two sons married two Moabite women. Uh, Malone married um, Ruth, and he has died. So she too has lost her husband. Interesting to note, um, his name means unhealthy. So, and Chilion's name means wasting away. So for those of you potentially marrying people, uh, Google their name just to see what it means. She also is in a very difficult position here, right? A very difficult position. If you know the story, she decides to go with Naomi back to Israel. She decides to go to, with Naomi. Orpah goes back, which is the, the logical thing. This is the, really the logical thing. I've lost my husband. I know Moab. I know my family. I will stay there. And Ruth implores them both, please return. I'm not going to have any kids that you can marry anytime soon. So uh, you wouldn't want to wait for them anyways. Uh, But Ruth decides, no, she will not do that. So she goes back. So she is a complete, not only has she lost her husband, but now she is moving to a place where she is an outsider. Like I said, Moab and Israel are not friends. So her moving into Israel would not be an easy thing. She's a widow and moving into a place where she's, it's going to be unlikely that somebody shows her favor. It's very unlikely that somebody would bend over backwards and say, oh, I know, you know, your situation and we'll bring you in and care for you. 
maybe more so for Naomi, but, but not so much for Ruth because she is uh, an outsider. She decides to move there. But in verse 16, we see an incredible character trait of Ruth. When Naomi has told her to go back, she says in verse 16, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. <laughs> when she saw that she was steadfast minded to go with her, uh, she left speaking unto her. Naomi basically resigned, okay, fine, if you're going to say it that way, come on, let's go. Why, though? Why? I, when I read the Bible, the, the question of why, you can ask the teens, I ask it all the time. Why? What benefit? What benefit is there to Ruth? Yeah, Crickets. There, there is no benefit, really, to Ruth. She's not, Naomi is not wealthy, and she thinks she's going to be getting some benefit. She's moving to a weird place with her mother-in-law. I mean, mother-in-laws are great. Don't get me wrong. I love mother-in-laws. But it makes no sense that, like, she has no connection with, with this place and these people other than just knowing Naomi now. It doesn't make any sense. Um, what is she to gain? Nothing. It's, I think it's moments like this when you realize the sincerity of someone. When you know they're doing something and it absolutely gives them nothing. And they're doing things that even are, puts them out a little bit. And they're become a little bit uncomfortable or put in a difficult place and they get no benefit from it. That's a great friend to have. That's a great person to have around that will be, you know, be self-sacrificing for, for somebody. It's probably a pretty rare thing. When relationships are built on what I can get out of it, I think they're just a, a bomb with maybe a long fuse on it. Maybe a short fuse, <laughs> depending on how selfish the two people are. But when it's just completely about my goals in life, I t we talk about this often, like Jen and I talk about, you know, what, what it must be like with, with two people who have very different goals and they're very, you know, focused on getting that. I can't imagine how much tension must be there in those situations. Ruth says, you know what, I will follow and I will take care and I will do whatever I can for you. For what benefit? Like, I want to be that type of a person who isn't looking for angles, who isn't looking for a way to get, you know, I'm going to get this little benefit in this area if I talk to this person or if I build up this relationship. But, hey, what can I do for somebody who can do nothing for me? Let's be a blessing. Let's be a blessing. Okay, scene one was pretty depressing. <laughs> Ruth showed character, absolutely. Scene two, though, opens up with uh, chapter two. I call this scene moving forward, moving forward, at least for one of our characters. Naomi doesn't seem to move forward at this point. We don't see any real action from Naomi at this point. What we see is Ruth. In verse 2, it says, And Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall, I shall find grace. And she said unto her, 
go, my daughter. So her goal and her purpose now is to go out and help feed the family. Her goal is to feed her and Naomi um, and to provide. So if you're not aware of this idea of gleaning, it's in the law. It's written into the law of how to help people who are widows or orphans or people who have no means that are just beggars. The way that they were to harvest their fields, were very, it was very specific. If they had like a, a corner, they weren't supposed to harvest the corner. They left the corner basically open for people to harvest for themselves. Also, if they bundled up something and then forgot it in the field, they weren't allowed to go back and get it. They're probably pretty aware of what was going on. Just don't forget, don't forget. And there were certain, these little laws that were written in to help people who didn't have food that they could go out and just follow the people, the reapers, and then harvest for themselves and their families. So that is what Ruth is doing. These people probably wouldn't be looked highly. This is, it was not like something that you would be proud of or boasting in the fact that you did this. It was just like, this is what I have to do to survive. Um, so she goes to the field and does that. She does not give up. Rather, she finds purpose. I know, this, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going, you know, type of a, a mentality. I mean, difficult position and a tough time for, for Ruth, but she does whatever she can do. Um, you can't let your circumstances prevent you from, filling your, for, for, from fulfilling your purpose. Your circumstances might change what your purpose is. When, when God really makes a big change in your life that you had no control over, your purpose in life may now be different. But I think we ought to be looking for what is God's purpose in my life now. I think it's those times when we say, well, this is what God called me to do, or this is the life that God wanted me to have, and now that's gone. Now what... I can't do anything now. I think it's in those times that, that, that we have to really get down on our knees and we have to pray and we have to, to focus on God's word and say, now, God, in this stage of life, or now that things are different, how should I live my life for you? Not that the way that we live our life should change. It's like I'm trusting in him whether things are great or whether things are bad. If, if there's a bountiful supply of my needs and wants, I should still be trusting and focusing on him. Or I'm struggling a little bit to, to get through. I'm still focusing and I'm trusting in him. That should always be our goal. It, you know, it was in the book of Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. If, if anybody could do it, Solomon should, seems like a guy that could just do it on his own. The wisest guy. And I mean, he had all tons of stuff. <laughs> he had everything you could imagine. But I don't think that was his, you know, especially read the book of Ecclesiastes. It's like that, that, none of that even matters. Um, so Ruth goes out and she does. She does what she needs to do and she continues on. And God directs her. Look at verse 3 in chapter 2. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers... I love this phrase. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. Now that phrase really means it just so happened. It just so happened 
without any prior knowledge, without any planning. It wasn't like Naomi sitting at home scheming and figuring out, hmm, I've got this secret plan. Did Naomi tell her where to go? No. And we'll see later, Naomi asks, where did you go? She had no idea where she was going. It wasn't on Naomi's mind. You know what? Maybe the Lord is working. And maybe these certain events, that's not how we think when everything just seems horrible, is it? We've got to be looking for God's hand even when things are bad. Naomi was not directing her. Uh, if you don't know the rest of the story, this seems very insignificant. Okay. And it, it would be unless you knew the rest of the story. Um, and then the last phrase in that verse, it says, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. He's part of Elimelech's, Elimelech's family, which is Naomi's husband. Um, how, so, you know, the question comes up, how can we get God to direct then? How do we get God to direct in our lives? It's like we see great events like this, like God is just leading this person. I, I use the example all the time with, with David. Like when he went to fight Goliath, he was just going to check on his brothers and deliver some food. That was it. That was how he showed up there. He was watching sheep. And then his dad sent him on a mission to check up on his siblings. That's a lame mission. If you have siblings, you know that that's not high on your list of fun things to do. Hey, go check up on your brother. Oh, great. He's going to hate me when I show up. He did. But then David and Goliath, like the most recognized story in the Bible just about happens because of just insignificant type of things. David being the right person in the right place. Naomi, Ruth is being the right person, letting God direct her. What can we do? We can do right. We can do right. We can do good. And we can let God direct because we have a focus on God because we know that God is in control of everything. All I know is I need to be the right person and let God work out those details. I need to take care of me. Be the best you that you can be and let God direct your path. Now, we are introduced into a new character here in uh, scene two with Boaz. Boaz, in verse one, which I skipped, says, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Does anybody know who Boaz's mother is? Rahab. Rahab. I mean, just little... Little things like that really intrigue me. And I go like, okay, I know this is maybe spoiling the whole story, but Rahab was not an Israelite. So Boaz is born to this family. Who's going to show favor to a Moabitess? It, you know, God working these details and seeing all these little things, it's, it's, I, I just love how this all connects together. He has a lot going for him, okay? <laughs> He has servants. He has a field that is being harvested. He's a great man of wealth. He has it together, but he doesn't act like somebody who is just too good for, you know, he's not that, he has great character. One thing specifically we see it through the rest of the story is that he is caring. He is caring. He is caring. He protects Ruth. 
so he shows up in the field. And, you know, the reapers say, hey, man, Lord bless you. You bless. Verse 5, it says, Boaz says unto his servants, uh, whose damsel is this? Now, you can romanticize this, you know. Like, Who is that? I don't know if that's how it was or not. It might just have been like, I've never seen her before. Who is that? <laughs> but for the sake of Hallmark and whatnot, we'll say that uh, he's like, whoa, hey, who is that girl? Biblical interpretation. And they tell him, hey, this is, this is the, the daughter-in-law of Naomi, and she has come back from Moab, uh, and she is asked to glean in the field, and that's what she has been doing. Uh, then said Boaz to Ruth, he goes up to her and says, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here face by, fa- face? fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they should not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. So the first thing we see is this idea, like he he wants to protect her. Knowing her circumstance and knowing that she is in the position that she is, is a single woman, culturally we don't have a perfect understanding of what it must have been like for her. But it had to have been difficult. If he has to go to the guys reaping his field and say, hey, don't touch her. That's a clue about uh, how tough it must have been for these single women. And so he immediately says, stay in my field. Stay with my maidens. And stick close so we can watch out for you. Awesome awesome protection that he puts out for her. But also he provides, in verse 14, um, he has, it's their first date. Sure, there's a bunch of harvesters and like sweaty guys out there and it's not a romantic place. Um, Hey, Jen and I's first date was in the cafeteria over spaghetti. Romantic. I mean, spaghetti's romantic, but not the cafeteria. Um, and so he provides for her initially just this meal, just this meal. Um, but look at verse 15. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and reproach her not, and let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. Like, let her do whatever she wants. When it comes to like picking up the harvest, like even stuff that you have put together, bundled together, if she grabs that stuff, hey, let her have it. And throw out some extras too. There you go, Ruth. Just take it all. Um, it's just, you can have as much as you want. So in verse 17, she leaves with about an ephah of barley. Now, it's always difficult to try to get these measurements. And you hear... If you pick up a commentary, however many you pick up is probably how many different measurements you'll find. But somewhere between like, oh man, it's not even a liquid measurement, but like six to nine gallons, 23 plus liters of barley, or if you want to do this at home, 93 cups. Generally is what she took home. So if you take the weight of barley and you take 93 cups, oh, I can't remember, how much was it? Oh, I don't know if I wrote it down. 
it was uh, heavy. Throwing a 50, 50 pound bag over your shoulder and going home. It wasn't quite that, that heavy. Uh, but it was not a small amount. It was not a small amount. Uh, so why does he show all of this favor to her? Look back in verse 10. I know this was after he told her that he was going to you know, provide for her or protect her. She fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said to him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I'm a stranger? Like, I'm not an Israelite. You, you don't have to do this for me. Um, and Boaz answered and said unto her in verse 11, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knowest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Like that, that is a huge compliment in my book for Ruth. That's huge that he, he recognizes that she did this selfless act and that she has come to trust in the, in the true God of Israel. And he thinks highly of her. He thinks highly of her. Would this story be much different if she was like, just bitter about the whole thing? Or, she, I mean, she, if she didn't go out into the field to do this, obviously the story wouldn't be the same. She had to have gotten out. So, you know, application to us, are we, if we're in a position like Boaz, maybe not with money or position or power or whatever, but when we find ourselves in a position to help someone, do we, are we even aware? I feel so convicted often that I get so consumed with whatever's going on in my life. We get so consumed with the, the details of what we've got going on and the schedules that we're doing that when somebody truly has a need, it can just be like, we miss it. And it's completely not even recognized. I, I know that I want to work better at being aware and recognize when I can be an encouragement to somebody else. I hope as Christians, that's all what we want to do. Be loving. Be forgiving. If, if somebody, even if somebody doesn't need, they'll be encouraged by your offering. I mean, what could possibly go wrong with you trying to help somebody? Maybe they get offended and that's something they have to work on. But it's still an opportunity to show someone you care. It's so easy to get lost in our lives that we neglect each other. Uh, James 1.27, visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, talking about being, having pure religion and undefiled before God. Uh, so scene two is turning around for us. But then in scene three, we absolutely see redemption. Redemption. Verse one, Naomi jumps back in. Now that Naomi sees, like, she's heard the story. Ruth comes back and says, I gleaned in the field of Boaz. And the wheels start get they start turning. They start turning. And in verse 1 of chapter 3, Naomi starts putting forth her plan. Now, I don't have time to go through all the details of her plan, and it's really weird anyways. In a Western 2018 cultural type of a thing, it seems really weird. But just trust that we don't know everything. 
and that they had different customs and ways to go about things. I hope that none of us would take this as an example of how we should uh, propose to somebody. Uh, But Ruth is being told what to do. Naomi jumps in, uh, and fortunately, Naomi is not so out of it with her bitterness that she doesn't at least see this point. That she is at least recognizing this enough to know that maybe God is working in this. Maybe God is still there and cares for me. And so she recognized this, and she gives out this plan. Uh, hopefully, with, just for sake of time, you're aware at least to some degree the details of this because it's pretty good. Uh, and then we see Ruth in verse 6 obeys, and she went down unto the floor and did according to all her mother-in-law had bade her. So basically showing that if, it, if you're interested... Would you be the kinsman redeemer, the one who takes the lost life of one of the men in the, of the family and buys back their land and raises up a family in his name is basically what the purpose of that was for, so that that family wouldn't just die off. And so that is what Naomi is asking Ruth to do, and that's what uh, Ruth does. And we see that Ruth, uh, well, Boaz agrees. In verse 10, he says, And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou hast followed not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. It was like, I I can do this because I know your character. I can do this because I have seen how you live your life and that the way that you are faithful and are caring, I will do this. Um, and so he does. He goes about this once again. There was a, some weird circumstances. There is a kinsman redeemer that is closer to Elimelech than Boaz. And so he goes to the guy and he says, hey, uh, do you want to, uh, to buy the land? He, he puts it as the best that he can. He was not trying to manipulate the situation at all. He says, do you want to buy the land of Elimelech's son, or Elimelech and his sons, out of the hand of Naomi? And he says, yes, I'd love to do that. And he's like, uh, there's a, a small footnote on this. You got to get Ruth with this deal as well. And he's like, whoa, no thanks. I'm out. Um, for whatever reason, most say that it would like he already had his own family and he didn't want to taint the the family lineage and the name and all that whatever it was um and so he takes off his shoe and get, gives it to to boaz with a he was supposed to get if you if you look into the law it's really interesting naomi should have showed up taken his shoe off and spit in his face but it's that's not what happens um it's so ex- interesting knowing just like we're so oblivious to how that world really worked. Like being this many years after, like understanding the cultural things of that world, it seems so crazy and weird to us to look into it in 2018. And um, I find it very humorous at times. Uh, But Boaz is given the go-ahead and he has witnesses there and it's approved and he marries Ruth. And then the whole point of the story happens. (laughs) At this point, they have a baby. They have a baby. This is like complete redemption, both of Naomi and Ruth. 
the reason that the story is in the Bible is because of this lineage. Because Boaz and Ruth have Obed, who has Jesse, who has David, who has Solomon, and begat and begat and begat begat Jesus. That's really why Ruth is included. Like, otherwise, this is like, you know, girl has problems, guy's doing great, they meet, get married, have kid. Like, yeah, that's pretty common type of a thing to happen. But no, it's so significant because God chose this Moabite lady to be the daughter of a harlot to be in the lineage of our Savior. What does that tell us about our God? That, oh, you know what? You don't know my background. You don't know what I've been through or you don't know what, what my past is. You don't think God can work? You don't think God can use you? God will use whoever he wants for his glory. He used these broken people for his glory. And they show at the end of this book with great joy. Scene four is our perspective. What do we do with this now? What do we do with this? No matter what your circumstance is, and whichever person or situation you closely identify with, how is God working in your life? And what is your purpose? What's God's purpose for all those circumstances and those weird encounters or those places that you find yourself? What is the purpose of those? Is it so you can be faithful and caring and loving? I hope that that's how we are. And that God uses those to open the doors that he wants to be open to. You'll never share the gospel to somebody that you're not showing a, a smile to. Like, you're not going to be able to have that great open door of opportunity if you're not living for God. If you have no desire for godly things and you're not really seeking God's will, you think God is, that those opportunities are just going to magically, you know, you know what, this might be God working. We've got to be focused on what's important. Be caring, be faithful, be loving. If you're bitter, look to God for, for, to forgive. If you are devastated, look to God. He hasn't let you down. He is there and has a plan for you. If you're blessed like Boaz, are you caring and looking for opportunities to be an encouragement? There's so much application that we can get out of this and so many great things that we can see out of the book of, Ruth, of, the book of Ruth. I, I encourage you to read through the whole thing because all the little details are just great. They're great. And I know I had to kind of skip through it pretty quickly, but what a great message that we have from God about his plan of redemption for us and how we can be a blessing to others.